0: Live from the vault, the Smith podcast. I'm Chad Coleman, founder of Smith here with the one the only the man the, the myth the legend DeAndre Dow.
1: Yes, sir. what's going down, chat?
0: Hey DeAndre, good to see you man. Have you had a good week so far?
1: Yeah, man, I'm busy, bless. Um just everything I was telling you earlier, the pace is a little hectic around this time of year. It just seems like yeah. everybody's on the run trying to get last minute it's runs. It's crazy,
0: in. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know cuz like I noticed like the traffic has picked up again uh even though like I obviously most people are kind of still on lockdown to a certain extent but yeah i'm like man what is the deal like my commute it was so nice for all this <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for the last few months yeah um but it's 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 awesome uh well i'm glad you're doing well hope everything's going well with uh no cap world man
1: absolutely nice. i'm busy with that as well too man awesome man of behind the scenes stuff right now
0: you get your christmas gifts there no cap world absolutely. awesome headwear from our our main man deandre um i'm super excited uh, because our guest today is in my mind and, and I think in a lot of people's minds, an entrepreneurial legend here in the Denver, Colorado area. Welcome to the podcast, Mike O'Donnell.
2: Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity.
0: Oh, man, it's so great to have you. Yeah, it's, uh, I've known you for a few years now, I think. It's, uh, we've, we've, been, we've been acquainted and had the pleasure to, to do some work together. And uh, so a little background on Mike. For over twenty years, I believe it was. Mike was the executive director at Colorado Lending Source, a nonprofit lender here in Denver that helps out small businesses. Instrumental in its creation and and um, and 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 instrumental in helping many many small businesses get funding here in Denver for twenty years. So first of all, first of all, I know you just left CLS, but but thank you for your time there. I don't know that. Uh, you know, uh, Denver will be the, the, the same without you, man.
2: <laughs> Thank you, yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine, but it's been fun uh, working with that organization, bringing it from just a couple of employees up to, you know, 35, 37 employees when I left, um, and working with thousands of different businesses here over the last 20 years. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I feel like you're instrumental in creating the mission over there of of creating, um you know, a, a uh, fostering economic growth in diverse communities throughout Colorado and um, boy, you know it must be satisfying for someone like yourself who did 20, 20 years you know working in that industry helping hundreds I mean thousands of small businesses and uh, you know it, it must just be so satisfying I guess my question my first question for you is what why small business like what led you to to have such a passion and a, and, a, and a caring for, or the small business owners out there?
2: Well, really, there's a lot of reasons. Again, you know, in, in a state like Colorado, in fact, many states in the United States, all of the jobs that are created every year here in Colorado are created by businesses less than one year old. So essentially, they're all startups. They're all small businesses. Wow, that's incredible. The, the, gov- the people in public policy, unfortunately, don't really get that connection. So there's a, always going to be people trying to recruit businesses or incent businesses to move here. But the reality is, you know, other than three in the last um, 26 years in Colorado, uh, all of the net new jobs in Colorado have been created by startups or businesses less than a year old. Wow. And, and part of my background is, you know, growing up in Australia, my dad had a little business and I would often help out with that. He had a grocery store. Oh, and cool. so When I was working at, at, at high school or at college. You know, I would work my Friday and Saturday shifts at the, the grocery store. Oh, man, stuff. Dad putting you to work? No uh, weekends for you. Get no down weekends. with this. Uh, <laughs> well, fortunately, the, the, that was back in the early days where you had to shut it at like 1 o'clock on Saturday. So I got a few hours on nice, Saturday and then nice. Sundays was off, but it's good. So, <laughs> so that has just been something I've grown up, at least in a family that's been a little entrepreneurial, although from a retail Main Street type side. Right. Um, and my passion, you know, from here, I... I Um, Met my wife to be at grad school in Australia, and she was from Kansas. I lost the toss, and then I had to come and live (laughs) in America. um, And ended up in Kansas working or running the small business development center there at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, working closely with the chamber. So spent a lot of years on the education side of working with businesses and counseling them, and then it was sort of a natural progression to work towards a group like Colorado Learning Source where we helped to connect those businesses with financing sources that were uh, intended to really help them access funds less expensively to help them grow and add jobs in their communities. So.
0: That's incredible, yeah. I mean, to come, uh, it's interesting to, to come, because I think of you as such a, like a, you're like my go-to economist. When I have questions about the economy, I, I hit up Mike or, or check out his blog. Um, by the way, check out um, mikeodonald.us. There'll be a, a link in the show notes so you can keep up with what Mike is, is uh, up to. But um, so it's interesting to hear you talk about you came from the education side and then kind of, and then over time sort of drifted over to the funding side of things. Was that, like, you seem like a very practical person. Was that the, the impetus behind that to, to to just, hey, like, this is what small businesses they need. They need funding. I'm going to go in this direction. Or was it, how did, that, how did you make that shift yeah. from education to funding?
2: It's interesting. You're right. It's, it's not every business, you know, big or small needs funding. And there are a lot of businesses that bootstrap without ever needing financing. You know, sometimes it's, it's a pain to work with a bank to, to get a loan. Oh, um, yeah so i was involved through the small business development center in the world of small business administration sba type programs Mm -hmm. Um, and i got the chance several times to sort of critique them or criticize them based on you know what they were Um, the attraction to a group like colorado lending source was it does the sba primarily the 504 loan program which is the owner occupied commercial real estate program which isn't as well known as most of the sba programs Um, in 1996 while i was in kansas uh, that program went from being subsidized by taxpayers to being completely independent from taxpayer support. It became a self-supporting really? program. And and uh, up until recently, I'm sure this recession has kicked it off, but up until recently, it, it was the only SBA program that was independent of taxpayer subsidy. So I love the idea of a program that could do good without having to be... Propped like a up. burden. Yeah, like yeah. on the taxpayers. So. Um, It it was a great program and really the intent of that program, unique amongst all of the SBA programs, was job creation and economic development and, and allowed a business when they're ready to own their own building so that they can control that cost and then they could build equity, which then they could retire on because a lot of businesses, even like my dad's business back in Australia, you know, he always rented his stores. Right. And at the end of, you know, his business life, he had a business to sell, but that was it. Yeah. And and, and so. And the location,
0: especially with retail, I mean, the location is so key, such a key part of that. I'm sure he would have been much better off financially for the long haul if he'd been able to have the property with it as well. Yes. That's interesting, I didn't realize like, you know, I kind of realized the 504, you know, having get, gone through the SBA loan process, and full disclosure with Colorado Lending Source, um, but um, <clears throat> myself, having gone through that, I I just kind of looked at it as like, oh, this is the building one, the construction one, you know? But you're famous actually, um, so that's fascinating to hear about that, but you're, you're famous for creating the Colorado Main Street Loan, which is uh, uh, which is uh, pretty unique in the lending world, in that it is a character, a largely a character-based loan. Can you tell me, you know, wh- why did you create that uh, that that loan, and, and what was the gap that was sort of like missing there for you, and yeah. that led you to do that?
2: And that's a big gap and, and and this has been obvious to me for a long long time. I mean a traditional bank loan or even an SBA guaranteed loan or, or even a five or4 loan they're, they're all collateral based and again you know credit is important when you look at that. so uh, so, so the banking industry is probably still not in the 21st century because the, the, the premise for most of the loans based on regulatory input is that you know you need to have collateral, you need to have good credit. Um, again, Based to the the fact that most of the jobs or all of the jobs in this state, other than the three years exactly. after the last recession, were created by small businesses less than a year old, and as Colorado becomes a more diverse state, as women start more businesses than they used to, as more immigrants and, and Hispanic, Latina, Latinx type community move to this state, um, they may not have the credit scores or the collateral that that a lender, even a you know a bank or many nonprofit lenders would look for. Right. So that 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 industry was right not so much for disruption but it's really just turning back the clock because i remember back you know when my dad was starting to build his business it was all done on the basis of you know a handshake with the law. yeah it was and,
0: like very character yeah. driven i mean even just banking in general like bank loans were you know a a bit character-driven, a bit reputation-driven, you know, pre, you know, I don't know, like mid-90s or so.
2: Well, even even 70s, 80s. I mean, we didn't have credit scores. We've become so dependent on what someone else tells you is the credit worthiness of an individual. And to be honest, it's not that hard to game credit scores. And so if you put all your eggs in a credit score basket, it doesn't mean anything. So, right. And there are reasons why people might have, you know, less superior credit scores, because they might have been helping their kid with a car loan or, or parents with medical bills. Lots of reasons. So, sure. So I'm a very cynical person. You know. And <laughs> you don't I, seem cynical, Mike. <laughs> well, I, I come from a. I, I'm not a lender, but I was in the lending industry for quite a while. So, so reverting character-based loans really are focused on character and capacity. And if you develop a relationship with someone and you understand their character and their capacity, right. uh, there's actually a much, much better chance that they'll pay you back than if you purely do it on the basis of math and sure. your credit score and how much collateral do you have. Yeah, there's so. a real
0: person there that yeah. they feel obligated and, and they have a relationship with, so they're going to do everything they can to make that that payment.
2: And that was the way it used to be in the 70s, 60s, You know, in the early start of the 80s. So so, the character based lending program isn't a new program. It's just, just re, regurgitating or re, reinitiating a program. So, the Main Street program, because of so many, uh, so few SBA loans going to women owned businesses and right. so few SBA loans going to Hispanic or Latino owned businesses, and, the chari- and that's really because they're sort of in, uh, covertly or overtly being discriminated about through that credit scoring basis, right. which, which isn't, isn't necessarily a fair sort of basis for a lot of people. So the character baseline program, we started at Colorado Learning Source in which I hope to continue through my new, non-profit now that I've retired from, from regular paychecks, at least. Uh, so.
0: <laughs> you retired into entrepreneurship yourself.
2: Yeah, I hope so, yeah. People my age, unfortunately, are unfortunately, are more likely to start a business and, than millennials, which is in and the next generation, which is just awful. And I, and I think that's another issue with student debt yeah. that we can talk about for another couple of hours. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's but, probably, but we should it, talk about that later for yeah, sure. No, but those are some of the things. So I'm really, to back to your question, essentially, it's just really trying to provide more democratic access to capital, to the people who are the most entrepreneurial parts of our community, who are the most likely to create jobs. So um, it's not going to happen through the traditional systems because we have regulators who don't want banks to take any risk at all. Yeah, it's insane. Like um,
0: going through that process ourselves to to start Herosmith was incredible. I mean, you know we, we we weren't my old company wasn't like world beaters you know i mean we we weren't on the fortune 500 or whatever but you know we made money every year and we and 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 we were able to support ourselves and and do pretty well and it's like it got to the point where i was talking to one of the reps from one of the banks i don't remember which one i wish and i was like man it almost seems like i have to have enough money to not need the loan, to get the loan. <laughs> so, I'm, uh, you know, and, and he's kind of like, the guy was younger and he was kind of, being, he was, maybe he was new or something, I don't know, but he's like, yeah, it's kind of set up that way and that's why you should probably talk to some of these other nonprofit lenders. And I'm like, I know the perfect one. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, well, it, it's essentially, there's a lot of that out there and banks go through their little waves where we're in a recession now, and, and really, people don't understand the depths of this recession, but the banks and the bank regulators do. So, they're going to be incredibly careful about making loans. Which yeah, they've means definitely that, tightened up. Yeah, which means they're not going to make any loans for, for really until another six or 12 months until it mm. starts. Because people will, you know, banks look backwards to see whether you could afford the loan tomorrow. And so, everyone's financials have been impacted this year. And so that means you're going to be very hard-pressed to find a bank who will be able to work with you. So it's just going to be a, a long, slow slug out of this recession. Well, from- I,
0: actually, yeah, I was going to ask you that very, that, that very question. Like, you know, I, I respect your analysis of the economy over the years, having read your, your blogs. And, and um, you know, I think that the general public in America you know, they kind of, they're just seeing that, all right, you know, all right. Everything was going great before, you know, according to the economy. I mean, it really wasn't for everyone, but certainly for for, for people in, in, in the billionaire class, it was certainly going well and generally pretty good for, for most people, um, I would say. Um, and so they kind of have this perception that like, okay, you know, COVID hit, you know, we're, we're going through this, we're gonna get out of this and it's gonna, boom, bounce back. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think it's going to be a quick bounce back, or what do you think the real forecast is?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be. I'm. I'm not a. Um, who is it was a Janet Yellen or, or any of people like that, or a famed economist like a Milton Friedman and stuff. But I look at a few sort of critical things from the perspective of small businesses, and and really the best indicator of what will happen after this recession is really what happened after the last recession. Although this recession, I think, will be longer and deeper than that. Wow, Are longer into 07-08. Yeah. The, well, actually, yeah. It's the 8 09 one, essentially. It got a little bit... It didn't actually arrive in Colorado until 09. And then we got out of it really quickly in Colorado um, before a lot of the rest of the country. So it was a... It was an impact, but it, it did change people's behavior a little bit. And, and one of the indicators that, that I look at, and I, I again, I, I, I really enjoy some of the stats that are out there. The government does a great job collecting stats. You know. <laughs> That's Maybe, about all they do, guys. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't do a great job with other things. <laughs> yeah, but, and it is lag. But I've been watching something called the, the the you know the savings rate, personal savings rate. You know, you've got. Well, you've got personal disposable income. You've got money that you've got left over after you pay your taxes and, and Social Security and all that sort of stuff. That's your personal disposable income. There's really two things you can do with it. You can spend it or you can save it. Mm-hmm. You know, Back prior to the 80s, Americans were really good at saving. This was after World War II. So the savings rate was about 10%. So you would make $100 after you know, take-home pay. You'd put $10 in the bank and right. you save it. After the '80s, it sort of dropped all the way down to about two percent in 2005. You know, and that was less than the inflation rate. So at that stage, Americans were spending more than they, than than they were actually had available to spend. Wow! And then after the last recession, um, because it did hit a lot of people, because of the it was led by really um, residential pricing or that presidential real estate, but that really impacted the business sector a lot. Right. Um, And then the savings rate has dropped up to about eight percent or so the last decade. Um, I'm anticipating that this because it's really not being led by, you know, real estate. It's businesses were shut with a day's notice if that. Right. Um, people uh, the savings rate jumped up in in March or April it jumped up to like 30%. So oh my
0: god. From so, like 8 you said to 30 yeah, like yeah. well obviously people trying to hang on and like being nervous about, you know, oh you know how long is this Shutdown going to last. We're going to have to live on this money for a long time.
2: And, and that was a response, and it dropped. It's been gradually dropping since then. But in October, it was still like thirteen point six percent, or almost fourteen percent. So again, mm. numbers we haven't seen since the seventies. And so um, that's just an indication that that over the last half a dozen months, people have been hanging on to more money rather than spending it because they are uncertain of the future. Right. And if they're not spending it, they're not buying. Goods and services—they actually seem to be buying as many goods as they used to, but they're not buying services. So, um, hairdressers, the people that, that, mm. that provide all of the services that, that people we use as consumers, aren't being—that's uh, not being acquired in the same rates we've done in previous years. And so, so- that money
0: is sitting stagnant in people's in people's savings accounts and whatnot, and. And not kind of filtering through the economy like it exactly. normally would.
1: And, and consumer spending makes up about two thirds of the economy.
2: Yeah. So it's just on just under seventy percent of wow. the, the thing. And again, but they're not making as much money either because so many people we've got, you know, three point six million people who who are working fewer hours now than they did before COVID, and we've got you know ten point six million people unemployed who aren't earning anything, mm-hmm. and a, and then we've got another you know three point six million people who would like a full time job but haven't found one yet. So. We've got more than 25 million people in the broader extent of of unemployment um, who aren't making as much money as they used to and aren't spending that as well so overall consumption or or, or available funds to american um, households has dropped at the same time as the saving rates increased so Mm. we've got that double whammy of people not having as much money to spend but also saving a lot more so Again, the, the numbers that the Department of Commerce put up show that it really hasn't affected, you know, durable or non-durable good purchases. So people are still buying groceries, they're still buying right. uh, things that they need. It's just really the services have dropped a lot. Um, yeah. And I think that, given that uncertainty, because we, you know, the, the the vaccine is is exciting and important, but it's it's not hundred percent effective, and and there's lots of misinformation or, or reinformation about it. So people are a little nervous about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with all of the people who've had these allergic reactions who might be more susceptible. But it's all of that sort of stuff. So I think that we will see, um, you know, less spending um, through the next 12 months than we've seen obviously in 2019. So um, there have already been businesses. Many of them have gone out of, especially, you know, the services, restaurants, you know, the business related to that. You know, people who do trade shows, people who do. Mm. Any
0: event-based stuff is just. Devastated, obviously, yeah.
2: We're seeing some innovation with the live events, and people are starting to return to to live music venues and stuff, but you you can't replicate, you know, like the Las Vegas Convention Center where people would wander around for three days and and visit all these people selling all these. And I was planning on attending
1: that next year. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, that would be great for you. Exactly.
2: So it's, it's, all of those things have gone away. And so there'll be more new businesses start next week, year because there are more people looking for jobs and they can't find them, so they'll create their own jobs. Right. And we'll see more disruptive, really interesting businesses that come out of that. But it's just going to take a little while, but I think, before people will loosen their purse springs, springs, uh, strings and start to spend the same way they did in 2019. So. Yeah,
0: pre-pandemic. So you're looking basically this time next year, like pre, like holidays next year, maybe even you know, pushing into 2022 before things are really sort of from an economic standpoint, back to normal, assuming, you know, the virus, like, or excuse me, the vaccine, people actually take it, you know, you get to that critical mass, whatever that percentage is. And, and, and and so that's, wow. So we're, we're probably looking at another year of maybe some progress along the way, I would imagine, but, but not, it's not likely to be that big, just hey all right we've got the vaccine boom we're back in business and we're going you know we've got uh, you know whatever it was like three percent GDP all of a sudden again right yeah
2: and again there seems to be that perception and again you mentioned before that you know snap of fingers and everyone will be back to normal but there there are underlying factors that show me that that may not be the case So again yeah. the last recession took you know a year or so to, to work through I think this one will take a while I I anticipate that, and everyone's saying how great the holiday season will be, but I don't think it'll be as strong as we saw last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, people's, you know, support mechanisms through the CARES Act and other federal relief or state relief. A lot of that expires on the day after Christmas. Yeah. Which, really interesting timing there. But, but, right. Bah humbug, uh, huh? Yeah, Jeez. But, or, or if anything else comes, but, you know, there are a lot of people hurting, and, and we've seen, you know... Un- unrelated to you know COVID mortality and fatalities, there's been just a lot of other things that have happened around uh, drug dependencies or, or, or opioid right. things. There's been more suicides. There's, there's a there's rent been, crisis coming. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot you of know. evictions will be coming. And again, yeah. all of the landlords that haven't been paid for six or so months, I mean, what will they do? And so right. the, the and, and I think just think that, that we have a little bit further down to go before we start to come back up. Um, and, mm. and I'm not trying to be negative. This is just, just saying, say Mike.
0: Jeez, man, we're also <laughs> in such a good mood now. No, 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 no. Appreciate it. We yeah. we keep it real. You know, yeah. we want to know the real deal. So yeah.
2: this is economic cycles, and and it doesn't seem to me like it's so hard to see, at least based on our experience after 2009, 20, 2009. Um, as to what happened last time and after the the three years after that here in Colorado we saw very few startup businesses with employees and so knowing that that's really driven me to think or work on my next venture which will try and provide more relief to those businesses that start um, through you know expanding character-based lending as opposed to looking at more traditional because we also saw after the last recession that banks just didn't want to lend. Yeah, with or without SBA, it didn't matter.
0: Well, I've even seen it in the credit card like industry, like uh, you know, um, that lowering people's uh, like limits and stuff, like of their available credit. Even that, all of a sudden, is is yeah, everybody's really in the banking industry is really like tightened the purse strings.
2: Correct, and there was a lot of that last year. People lost their lines of credit, and that pushed a lot of businesses over the top. And, and of course, people lost value in in assets. And, and you know th- it there'll be opportunities for people to start as I a new business as mm-hmm. I've been through here in the United States um this will be my fourth recession, which is pretty depressing. Because in that same time, Australia is just going into its first recession. So it's pretty jeez, good. wow. So America was uh, was leading the way, but I remember after that, <laughs> leading
0: number one in recessions. <laughs> well, it's, it seems like,
2: but after the one in in eighty nine ninety, there were a lot of businesses that didn't survive that, and so you know, there's auctions; people can pick up stuff relatively cheaply. I mean right. there's now you're probably, if you wanted to start a restaurant, you, you should be shopping around for restaurant gear now and sticking it in your garage. So that, you know, <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you get ready in six months to open your restaurant, you'll have all the stuff you need. But so they'll, they'll, they, that's the way the sort of the economy recycles itself in some respects. You know, we saw after the last recession, a lot of people went in and bought, you know, residences or houses relatively cheaply, and then they, you know, rent them out or turn them into Airbnbs. Exactly. That's where
1: you get the Uber-based business models, Airbnb, and everything following the last recession. For sure. And and
2: there'll be a bunch more of that this time, and there are people who got it last time, you know, have had, had tenants making payments for the last six months, and so they'll be in trouble with their banks or lenders, and so... Right. Perhaps those businesses or those buildings will come back around for someone else to buy them. Sure. <laughs> but, um, but it is interesting times. Again, it's it's a cycle, and, and it's not an unusual cycle. But I think this one is because it's pandemic induced, and it was so sudden. People right. didn't get to, to, to plan for it or to work towards it. That's why all of that money disappeared from the economy pretty quickly, and why it's taking a while to get back into the economy.
0: Yeah, and it's like you know when it's when the when the the sort of the sword hits a certain sector. Last time it was real estate. You know the the, the the to connect the dots to okay. Well, some people were in a position after that to pick up real estate. You know, leverage that, sell it, buy fix up houses, wait for the economy to come around, rent it out, sell it, make profit. It's a very different nature when the main sector of the economy, uh, uh, small businesses, is the is the main one affected by this. And I think that really changes the nature of the recovery as well.
2: Correct. And in in a state like Colorado, even though small businesses create all the new jobs, you know, on average, you know, half of the people that work in Colorado work for a relatively small business. So all of those businesses are being impacted. We we haven't seen the impact yet on the bigger businesses, although there's a lot more consolidation, businesses buying each other. Right. The stock market is ridiculously high for no apparent reason that I can see. So. I was going to
0: ask you about that next, actually. <laughs> like, yeah, any 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 clue? I mean, just is it just a system that's literally built built up to, you know, buy billionaires for billionaires to, billionaires slash millionaires to. To to, to, to you know, be a money machine for them? and In some you know.
2: respects, it is. I, again, I've not been a huge fan of it. And, and again, you know, recessions is when the rich get richer typically. Um, and so we'll see a bit of that. But again, I think part of the the fact is that the stock market or the big companies being traded on there haven't quite yet seen that consumer spending because it's such a big part of GDP is going to be off. You know, and the, the opposite, you know, the other three things in, in the GDP are like... A, business investment, which will be down, mm-hmm. uh, government spending, which might be up, and then you know net exports, which is gonna be down. So our GDP will, will stay relatively flat for a while, and we should start to see, we already are seeing increases in, in costs and prices and stuff. I mean, just the supply chain disruptions are causing things to be more expensive than they used to be. So as we get some inflation, all of that's just going to work against each other to make this one, I think, a little different from the last recession and just take us a little longer to get out. It doesn't it's going to be mean, a
0: slow thaw, right? Like the economy kind of thawing out from the frozen straight state and take a little bit of time to, to come back. Yeah.
2: And we saw, that, you know, the last recovery was a very slow recovery because of a lot of factors. And it took a while for unemployment to come back down. I mean, we're theoretically at you know, seven-odd percent or something is unemployed. But again, that doesn't count the people who are working fewer hours than they'd like or the people who'd want a job who, who aren't in the unemployment queue looking for a job. I mean, it's those sort of things. So I think it'll just take a little while. It doesn't mean that – it just means that, that people need to be a little careful and that perhaps there's some things that they might learn to do without, like, you know f- – for screaming, streaming service subscriptions. You know, perhaps you can- <laughs> Right, narrow that, that down. back to one. You know, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, just go. You, perhaps you don't need six new TVs next year, I don't <laughs> know, but it's those sorts of things. So I, I think right. a, a little bit of an adjustment and and being more economical is probably not not something that, that, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And you say
1: this is your fourth recession?
2: Yeah, I was trying to think, the '90s and the dot-com, well, it wasn't really the dot-com, it was a little bit, you know, the stock market was doing stupid things before that happened. Right. And then the last, the Great Recession, which is the '82,008 and '9, and then this one, so. So I left um, Australia in, in 88 and came to the United States. What would
1: be your most valuable advice for those experienced in the very first recession?
2: Um, it, you know, I thought after the last recession that we'd never, I would never see anything as bad as the last recession. Um, it, it seems to be on average like a 10-year cycle and it's, it's not that unusual to see that. So it's really, you know, don't necessarily live for the day, but, but plan for tomorrow. Um, and I think as I said, we saw a little bit of that happening after the last recession because it was so strong, people started to save a little bit more. Um, you know, what the rule of thumb is, it's how much you've put aside for a rainy day. You know, that's, you know, b- b- people up until the last recession were very much living for the day. You know, they were getting equity in their houses and borrowing against that to buy their big screen TVs and their cars and, and this, that and the other. And then, then they got caught. Um, and so essentially because the value then and the real estate disappeared and then they couldn't pay their... All the bills you know, came due. Yeah, and then they walked away from it and... And people who have credit cards that they're paying, you know, 30 percent, and they're depending on a, a, a paycheck to make those payments each month. I mean, it's just people will need need to be a little more cautious, and I think there are, you know. Not going to suggest living more simply, but but essentially that's part of it. Is that you know perhaps they don't need, as I said, a you know big screen TV in their bathroom or whatever it is that that people get excited about. I sure. think it's just a matter of just being a little more careful with what you do.
1: That actually brings me to my next question because we're in an economy where over 50% of people are living from paycheck to paycheck, and majority of Americans don't have enough money in their savings accounts to cover unexpected bills. So how do you encourage entrepreneurs and startup business owners to even apply for loans?
2: Yeah, and that's exactly. That's a really good question. That's why we've seen very so very few millennials apply for for really or to start businesses because the millennial generation and the next one after it, whose name escapes me, uh, they're the Gen best. Z. Gen Z. Okay, very very creative name. Oh there. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what the next one is. it go back to A after that? <laughs> yeah, right, A, we're at Z, okay. Gen A. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, again, you know, there's so many millennials have student debt that that's a discouragement for them to want to start a business, because you have to live on the smell of an oily rag and as you start your businesses, because you, unless you what work with they? a venture capital and someone throws hundreds of millions of dollars at you, which doesn't happen very often. It's like winning one. the
0: lottery, basically.
2: Uh, it's, yeah, probably even less of a chance there. So, so I think, you know, I've, I've always been, even though I've been in the lending world, I'm sort of dead adverse in many respects. And bootstrapping is important. And starting slowly or starting through collaboratives, um, we'll probably see more, you know, co-op type businesses and more employee-owned businesses as a result of this. Uh, we'll see more people working together. We'll see more community-focused businesses. Um, and that's really one of the reasons for the Main Street program is that, you know, you, you can get a job at Amazon and you do that. Uh, but Amazon is going to be laying people off after the holiday season. You know that because they're, sure. they're going to drop off. So so what do those people do? But if I'm starting a local coffee shop or, or an ice cream shop or something in my community, and my community is very involved in the businesses in my community, then I can create a, you know, reasonably sustainable um Impactful sort of business in my community. I may not be a millionaire, um, but it's really you know, do I want to be a millionaire type situation. It's it's really back to personal objectives and goals as to what they want to do. It's um,
0: fascinating to think about that. We have to almost be more like village like. You know, when you think of traditional role of businesses, you know, they were this central point in this you know small towns uh, across the whole country and historically. In, in villages and stuff and, 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 and really kind of tie the community together. It sounds like we almost need to to do that kind of thing again, right? Like obviously there you want to support small businesses, but it seems like <clears throat> if you don't have expectations of being, you know, the next Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, you know, you feel like in the next year or so, you could create a viable business, but they're much going to be much more community oriented, aren't they?
2: I, I get that impression. I mean, you you can be very community centric with your business, providing services to the community. A classic is a coffee shop where it becomes like a gathering place for people, and you have you know poetry readings or book book signings, and all of that sort of stuff can happen. In the old days, they used to do that in bookstores, but we don't see as many of those yeah. as we used to. Yeah. Online <laughs> readings. Uh, but the coffee <laughs> shops are around and, and you know back in my days you know you know hundreds of years ago it seems like you know we'd hang out at coffee shops there'd be folk music and there'd be all sorts of stuff it would be the focal point of our communities right. back as, as a kid growing up or as a teenager in the 20 or something um and, and there'll be businesses that will be more national and focused but um the more national businesses you know to access their prospective customers, have to use the, the traditional channels of the bigger businesses, and so that becomes, you know, captive in some respects. And the business, bigger businesses, who manage the smaller businesses, aren't always as friendly, yeah. and, and can rip them off in many respects. Uh, so it's a, I think that, and really the community model is is common in rural communities where you're, you know, you've got the local farmers and the local residents all sort of shop together You sure. 50 miles 100 miles to the closest you know, walmart or something but um and i think we've already set that up in denver denver is pretty good because it, it is a, a bunch of different communities that yeah. sort of sprinkled together um but we've as we've become more homogeneous in the sense that you know you'd much rather go to a, a mcdonald's or a fast food place than you would to the local hamburger store that sort of drifted away a little bit um, but again, it, it it could come back. But the village concept is interesting. I I, think I agree with that.
0: It's a, uh, the thing that's interesting about it to me is it's it's got to be a choice. Like uh, you know, I think it's about raising awareness around that, understanding. Because I, I think most people, I mean, uh, probably all of us understand this pretty well, just being what we do. But I think that the average American doesn't understand the the um depth to which small businesses are the sort of linchpin of our economy. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we you know, I was raised in the eighties and, you know, and uh and you know, you're kinda raised to to think about, okay, you're gonna get your diploma, go to college. Um but even like You know, that kind of became the norm. But before that, it was like, hey, just go to high school, you know, get your basic skills out of the way and then go get a job at a at a big corporation at the factory at the NCR, the Ford factory or whatever it was, and you can earn a good living. Well, that hasn't been a reality since the 80s, at least maybe mid 90s. And uh, and so, um, you know, in that sort of vacuum that was created when that kind of corporate you know, American dream of just being like, hey, you can have a great middle class life with a high school education and, and a, if you show up and you, at your job and, and work hard. Um, I think small businesses really filled that vacuum.
2: Yes, they did. And, and that's, that's really where the opportunity is. You can, you can make a difference in a small business. You can give back. You can, you're very responsible. And that's what attracted me really to the SBA 504 program and why I got involved with Colorado Learning Source and a version of that in Kansas before I left there. It was all about encouraging businesses to be their own landlords, and when you have owner-occupied commercial real estate in the community, it creates a stronger community than if it's someone in California who owns a building in Colorado that rents it out to someone. Who couldn't care two hoots about you know what the business is. Right. They just want their money each month. Mm-hmm. But if you're an owner-user. Um, then you're you know, giving money to the local high school football team, you're supporting the booster club, you're buying Girl Scout cookies, all the sorts of things that really make a community stronger. So as we become much more diverse and businesses have become decentralized, we've lost a little bit, which, which I think will start to re- recover a bit of that, I think, this next couple of years. And we've
1: talked about this in previous episodes, Chad, as yeah. far as the importance of buying local and supporting small businesses with the more money that comes into a community and is recycled within that community, the more opportunities that community can create for that community. Yeah. It's a real
2: simple cycle. Yeah. And it's creating jobs in that community. Absolutely. For people that that's the key thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, if I've, I'm in a community and I support my local coffee shop or, I, you know, and, and that's really the extension of character-based lending is to, to provide some sort of community input. So. Me as a as a person who lives in a community might make a fifty dollar loan to a business that that's in my community, and, and the Kiva hub program is is good at that, where you can make twenty five dollar loans to local businesses, um, and and those are great starter loans for people character, sort of character based loans, yeah. but not to the same extent, but but just get, get you you know up to fifteen thousand to get you started, um, and then from there you can sort of work with more. Tra- Additional non-profit lenders or character-based lenders and then you work your way back into the banking system after three four five years whatever it takes
0: yeah no that's fascinating um, it, it is so interesting to think about how cyclical things are and and how we, we sort of need a return to to the to the good old days going way back to when you know small businesses were 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 are uh, were are key a part of the economy and um, well, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is that on the flip side of that equation, it seems like like corporations are doing better than ever. But I think that's a false. I think that's a false, um, like a straw man almost. Because you know, while the stock market is doing great, I mean, I my friends and stuff. Maybe it's just anecdotal, but it seems like the people I know that do work for large corporations. I mean, they're slashing employees left and right. I mean, there's there's a. I have a. A relative that works for a fortune i think 500 definitely 500 perhaps a 100 company they're operating at 15 percent staff yep. and and so that you know some of those people are probably on like temporary furlough but a huge percentage of them are uh you know we're, we're let go
1: yes. go look at disney's numbers yeah, yeah tens are they, of thousands of them oh
0: yeah well tourism based and all that Absolutely. stuff and, oh yeah
2: and and I think we'll see more of that. I, I think it hasn't been as visible or as publicized as much as it will be. But yeah. um, this holiday season will be okay, but it's not going to be what we've seen in the past. And I think as a result of that, there'll be more visibility around people downsizing or letting people go. Um, it takes a few months for the stats to come through in terms of job losses. But again, on average in a state like Colorado, I'm remembering the, the the number's off the top of my head. But like in 2019, you know, we had... 250 odd thousand new jobs created in this state um, and we lost about 210 thousand so we ended up with a, about a net change of about 40,000 new jobs um this next 2020 will have lost jobs you know quite oh a lot yeah. over your and we'll probably do that again the next few years so wow so so as people adjust as people you know perhaps prune back a little bit or get rid of expenses that, that might be a little bit over the top and sort of live Again, I'm not advocating, you know, living frugally, but but perhaps just being less uh, extravagant in what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and again, me growing up in the '60s, because I'm, you know, older than both of you combined, type situation. But <laughs> I doubt it. Because <laughs> we we didn't have a, you know, a lot. And you know, my dad had a job before. He, you know, he lost that job, and that's when he started his business. And so, you know, there was that recession here in, in '69 um, in the United States, which which coincided with the last plague that we had, which was. Quite deadly oh yeah, countries. people
0: forget about that. And what was that? Was the what they called the? Uh,
2: I think they called it the Hong Kong
0: flu. Yeah, it was very like uh, yeah. very Trumpian name for yeah. for well, pre-Trump it's, era. It's,
2: well, it's <laughs> like the Spanish flu, which right. actually, which actually started in Kansas. You I mean it's that they they just didn't have the PR that the <laughs> Spain was the only one reporting it, so it became the Spanish flu. So oh, it, geez. The the media has its interesting little webs in all sorts of things. But, <laughs> yeah, there's there's it either the, the Spanish flu started either at Fort Riley in Kansas, or there were some studies that show that it started like three miles across the Colorado Kansas border Oh, no um, kidding. and so there's just an interesting on your not, neck of the woods not far <laughs> from where I live yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't start this one but that's right <laughs> yeah. uh, so so yeah so we've had our little recessions from time to time that one didn't last too long and that it's sort of the flu or the plague sort of burned itself out, killed a bunch of people, but, it, but they didn't shut down things. Um, so, so you're so saying
1: this too shall pass, Mike? This too shall pass. Give our listeners some hope. Yeah, yeah. no,
2: this, this will. That was one of my favorite songs in the last recession is this too shall this two shall pass from the... What's the group that did that? I, oh, again, I, can, I can't remember. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so... It's it, a it, good it one, will. though. I've heard it before. It will. Was and it and Simon and Garfunkel or something like no, that? Or? There, there were a few people oh, that did it. This oh. was a, a group that did some amazing videos of, of stuff like that. But, mm. but again, this is again back to to history, which is again an economics is, is just part of the history cycle, and and the world is is you know nothing that's happening today hasn't happened before, and you know we don't always move forward. You know we might move forward five steps, and then we have to take a step back. Yeah. And so at the moment, it, it's just taking a step back and making sure that people. Are safe and and you know can see their way to the other end and they don't do these things like the opioid addictions or self medications and, and look for help where they need help right. um, the people who are isolated are the ones I feel most poorly about because they they aren't allowed access to people other than electronically or telephonically or, or right people in nursing
0: homes and things like that yeah. yeah
2: and that's not the same you can't create those relationships online that you can in a playground of a school or, or in a coffee shop or, or you know, in a a meal for elderly citizens, you know, once a week on a Tuesday or the card night on Monday night, whatever those things are. So those are the things that are most missing that are causing, you know, when you look at the stats, I mean, again, I go off on tangents, I apologize, but... No, it's fascinating. I was looking at something from the the certified CDC the other day that that looked at um, how many deaths were occurring compared to on how many average you would expect to see. And so Colorado's death... This year is about 111 percent of typical, you know, the average of non-pandemic we see for, years. Yeah. Yeah. So 2015 to 2019, in, in a. Just over half of those extra deaths can be attributable directly to COVID. So the rest of those extra deaths we're seeing in Colorado have to do with suicide or, or mm. drug overdoses or you know depression-related or more heart attacks, you which know,
0: could be affected by the pandemic, but it's which not going to show up on a lot of charts, right? Correct. Domestic yeah.
2: violence as well, yeah, yeah, all of that, and then we've got all the other issues that will be exacerbated next year when people have, get evicted or you know all that sort of thing. So so Colorado through October, you know, had about thirty-two thousand deaths you know and the 2000 from the pandemic is, is part of that but it's it's and then there are about another 15 1600 deaths that that are over and above what we would normally see which are related to the pandemic because of the stress and the issues so so it's been a, a bigger impact on the state because of that um, and, and that should hopefully drop off next year we'll, we'll see all of those go away um, but it's, you know, in th- it's just an interesting way of looking at something from me as a nerdy type person as to, you know, this the, the, the unintended consequences of the shutdown is it's caused a lot of other people to die who otherwise wouldn't die. But that's right. not something that you hear very much about. So it's just a, just another weird... It's one thing. of those
0: weird, you know, kind of things that you know, you really got to look at the whole picture to understand the impact of this thing. And, and I think, you know, like you said with the, the evictions thing, and it, it's just... There's going to be a lot of unpacking, and to that end, like, do you support, um, you know, things like the Cares Act? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when they passed the Cares Act and they infused all this cash into businesses, and I know it helped a ton of our members at Hero Smith, and um, <clears throat> and to be honest with you, like, I thought I was sure that they were going to be on this, and you know, three maybe four months later there'd be another package, and maybe even a third after that. So we've had one (laughs) and maybe there's like they've got like a a basically a day and a half left to to come to an agreement. You know, I mean, from an economic standpoint, I think it's pretty solid economics to know that if you can in a situation like this, you know, no, I don't know any business owner or just the average person that's in favor of like. You know government just giving away money or you know uh, unfettered socialism I think there are people that are into that but most people aren't um, and however it seems like obviously like an extraordinary situation and it seems like that you know our slight the the, the you know it could have gone much deeper if we hadn't done that. And what is your feeling about if we don't get something done here before this these benefits expire in the new year? Um, do, do do you think that's I mean, do you think that's an essential part of of saving this economy?
2: I think again, you know, stimulus is you know the the Federal Reserve, the the Treasury doesn't have much to do in terms of messing with interest rates to encourage more people because no one's going to lend. I mean, this is going to be things. So so injecting money directly into the economy is is really important. You know, the Cares Act was very well intentioned, very poorly executed, and, and and I've been a verbal critic of that. So I'm probably on some lists that, that will never get me any political appointments. But, <laughs> but irrespective, again, it was the intention was good. I had an interesting comment from from a non-profit lender here in Colorado, on the other side of the state, who'd moved here from the East Coast, and she made a really interesting comment to me that. Um, she found that a lot of the businesses in Colorado weren't interested in the CARES Act because it was chari- charity or, or, or oh, it, was right. a, it was a loan. And she said they wouldn't have seen that at all on the East Coast. I mean, yeah. people would have been all over trying to get as much as they could. But Yeah, Joel
0: Osteen got $4 million, <laughs> by the way. He needed it. It yeah. was really bad. Yeah. Anyway, Well, <laughs>
2: some of the banks just pushed it on people, and they wouldn't help their small businesses unless they were customers. And again, that, you know, the uneven distribution and how poorly that was rolled out was awful. But back to your point some more stimulus again we've already gone so far in debt there's a lot of that cares act that was never actually deployed and so redeploying that because it already allocated it and getting some to businesses that really needed you know and i before i left colorado learning source was involved in the energized colorado grant program and scoring a lot of those i scored almost a thousand of those projects coming wow. through How many
0: applications do you think you got? It was a grant for for small businesses. There
2: were I I forget the number officially from the state, but I know that we Colorado Learning Source got um, close to almost about two thousand or a little bit less. That was our allocation that we were. I was going to say that's
0: divide. You know, every probably nonprofit and. So uh, a lender probably got about that much if they're of consequence. There more.
2: I, th- I think based on the numbers, there was only money available for about 1500 But But I think from when I left after two rounds, as well over 6,000 applications had been received. So a lot of people are going to be disappointed. But a lot of the, the weighting, the scoring was done was that, you know, it didn't look at whether you had employees or not, which was something that was annoying to me. It really looked at. So there were a lot of people you know, who drove Ubers on the weekend. And just because of, of certain characteristics, they would score higher than someone that that might have a restaurant with 30 employees. And wow. so, so it, again, I, I've nothing against the intent of it. It's just that I think that in many cases, you know, the, the government or the people who create these programs never think them through to the extent that they ought to. Right. And so, you know, perhaps private sector is, is an opportunity. I mean, at Colorado Learning Source, we were able to work with several foundations in the state who were able to either provide funds to us at you know zero percent or one or two percent to try and make loans to help businesses who needed that but people don't need loans they don't need more debt because right. they already is far behind they've lost so much revenue this year that a loan's not going to help them.
0: Yeah it could, it could even hurt them potentially because yeah. if it's not enough to get you over the hump to this time next year you know uh, or, or something close to that, then, it, then you're just going to be further in debt. Yeah, you know? and, and
2: that's not a solution. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, back to your point is that we need something and we need some help. Um, you know, the government unfortunately politicized this whole thing like yeah. they like to do. And. So I'd love to see more small business owners in Congress and, and more economists in Congress as opposed to all of these silly attorneys, if I can use that expression.
0: <laughs> Please do. You know, if it wasn't for attorneys, we wouldn't need attorneys. Both. Well, I, I, you
2: know, I know it's the oldest profession other than prostitution, but I'm not sure that there's much difference between the two of them. Um, but again, we've got w- <laughs> way too many attorneys who, who don't know really how the business world works because they've right. never had to think about that, and, and so that's part of the issue. And you know, it's it's unfortunately that's that's the way it is. So yes, they they could have got together, um, but they chose not to, and as a result of that, I would suggest you know tens of thousands of, uh, not hundreds of thousands of families' lives have been ruined. Um, yeah, but which is just they don't care because they're up there.
0: Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of wild. Like. Uh, <laughs> You know, overall, uh, just a general question, and and, and is, uh, and then I want to talk more about you know what you're doing in the future and, and what you're working on right now. Um, you know, do you think, you know, as someone who grew up in Australia and and immigrated here, and by the way, thank you for doing that. You created, by proxy, at the very least, you created th- tens of thousands of jobs by by empowering uh, some of these small businesses with 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 loans i mean brands you've heard of you know otterbox uh, vortex I, i'm i'm sure you could rat off a few more but how do you think i mean as someone that's kind of seen cuz you went to australia you were almost stuck there, weren't you, for the, for the, you could still be there, we could be doing this, uh, you could yeah, be like in right, the middle of the yeah. night there and we could That's be doing right. this call, right? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, because my, my dad's 95, so every year or two I go back to check on him and so we would plan to return in March, so we headed out at the early, you know, just before mid-March and then while I was over there, things got shut down here and I was a bit concerned, then Qantas, who we flow with, then decided they were going to shut down all flights. So we were able to get out about three days before the, the flight started. Wow. And came back through LAX, which was pretty exciting, going through a ghost town of an airport and then coming back to Denver. Ugh. So again, you know, Australia is very entrepreneurial, just like America is. I'd suggest, in some respects, a little more entrepreneurial. but. Hmm. Um, it doesn't have the advantages. Things here, people in America don't realize how well off they are, how inexpensive things, in whether that's gas, whether that's groceries, whether that's you know, eggs at the supermarket. Things are so less expensive here. Right. Um, and, and that's, again, that's why travel is important for every American to get out. And I agree. You've got to yeah, you just gotta just,
0: see other cultures uh, and other peoples. But anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: When you get the chance, when, when you're allowed to travel. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. Or in your RV. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's again, it's it's, you know, I'm not sure where I'm going. But
0: well, I was asking more yeah. about like, well, that that's a good point too. And but I, I was th- I was kind of like curious to get your perspective on the American response oh, okay. to the pandemic yeah. as compared to Australia, because you know I feel like Americans don't really understand Australia. I mean, what's the population of Australia?
2: It's about 25 million. Now. 25
0: million. So, okay. So-, so I mean, it's it's no salt potatoes. It's yeah. bigger than a lot of countries in Europe yeah. that we consider like you know superpowers or nato members and all that kind of thing and so uh what is going on over there right now what's their situation with the pandemic
2: again they they respond there's only six states in australia and the federal government is a little bit more well not really more involved but but in the state of victoria where my dad is and where i grew up um it was you know starting to shut things down when i was there and then they went into fairly severe shutdown probably more than anywhere else in the country where in the world, I should say, where um, there were curfews every night. You know, you you, mm-hmm. you you could only stray more than, you know, no more than five kilometers from your house and you couldn't be outside more than an hour a day. And, you know, wow. all the shops were shut down and you could only go to the grocery store and back and that was it. And I even heard reports of, you know, if you were driving to the grocery store, the police might stop you on the way, hold on to your license, and then you go to the grocery store and you come back and they'll give you back your license just to prove that you've been Jeez. to the grocery store. Wow. So, it's that sort of stuff. So a little bit policey state, but yeah. Um, my dad's now allowed... A, he he would always he lived around the corner from a park, so he could always get out and walk around the park in the okay. morning. Uh, drive one block to do that. <laughs> um, but now you know, then they restricted the, the you know the curfew ease from ten to eleven, and then you could be out for like twenty kilometers and two hours a day. And now all of that has gone away, so there haven't been any COVID cases in the state of Victoria for more than a month now. So essentially, they're starting to free up things. Um, church services are starting to resume, but haven't quite started yet. So, mm. it would be something that would wouldn't work well very much in America because we, you know, it's just the way there's more freedom. freedom here. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very nice way to put it. I was yeah. going to say, yeah.
0: it won't work very well in America because we got a lot of stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> and New Zealand,
2: New Zealand did the same. they basically shut their borders and wouldn't let anyone in or out so
0: now are they now let me understand this so what you're saying is they they the government had to take care of this extraordinary situation this pandemic, so they heavily restricted the people and 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 so you know by the logic of a lot of people who are concerned you know who express their freedom through not wearing a mask ever um they uh, so You guys are in a total military state down there. I imagine now, right? Like it's it's you know there's goose stepping in the streets, right?
2: There wasn't not a, so much. <laughs> not so much again. I think it's now that the the virus has sort of left, at least in some respects, because it burnt itself out just because it wasn't given the chance to spread around. Um, people are feeling more free. Of course, they're still being cautious about things, of course, yeah. and some businesses haven't fully opened. And the mm. impact will be, you know, strong there as it is here on businesses and small businesses. Um, oh, that's is, pretty,
0: pretty, uh, pretty radical there. I mean, they, they took away some freedom and they gave it back. Imagine that. Yeah,
2: and again, <laughs> and we didn't have to wait for a vaccine. So essentially, things will gradually return to normal. But just like here, I think small businesses will bear the brunt because they didn't have the cash reserves that the big businesses had, and so they'll just take longer to recover, if at all. And so there'll be a little bit more, you know. Wealth, welfare for at least support for people until they can get back on their feet.
0: Yeah, and in terms of uh, doing exactly that, you have not uh, given up on your mission to to um, you know help small businesses, and you're continuing the Colorado Main Street Loan. Tell me more about that. Tell me about yeah. the future. What what are you going to be working on?
2: Well, I created a, a new nonprofit called Prairie Rose Development, which has really um, just been recorded as a five hundred one c three by the IRS. So. Congrats! So the, the, I know that's a pain in the butt to get uh, through. <laughs> it's so much fun working with the government. <laughs> the that's uh, so so I'm sure it's, and even because most of them weren't at work, they were just doing it remotely. Um, oh but uh, essentially, the the mainst- I see a, a greater need for the something like a main street character based loan program in the future. The the variation on what it was at Colorado Learning Source with what it will be at Prairie Rose will be more to do with mentorship. So mentorship will become a much more critical function of, of the loan programs moving forward because nice. we know that as this state and other states become more diverse, you know and, and by 2050 Colorado will be a majority minority state in the sense that that white people will be the minority and and, and mm-hmm. all of the other populations will be by far the majority. So, as we see that, and, and if we still continue to, to build everything in terms of lending on, on credit scores, it's just com- going to be completely irrelevant. So, mm. creating a character based lending model and working with people in Colorado and different communities. I mean, I, I've had some discussions with people in Atlanta and Minneapolis after the, the riots and stuff, trying to bring businesses back. I mean, we so I, I'm hoping to, to really stand up a more of a, a, a franchise top operation of a Main Street program in different communities using oh, wow. the mentorship platform as a back as a back support so that people like yourselves could volunteer to be mentors and and assist you know a, a couple of businesses on some of these things but you know people that businesses that have mentors are twice as likely to be successful as businesses that don't so it's really the important is trying to connect people with connections because so many people who start businesses in 2021 will be on their own because they can't afford to be anything other than that. Or they can find a like-minded person to sort of join with them, but two families might not be able to survive off a business. So a lot of businesses will start incrementally next year or as hobbies or as part-time or whatever. Um, And they're the ones that won't have the track record to attract much if they need funding. And you you may not need a lot of funding for a lot of the businesses of the future. Right. Um, And you won't have collateral like, you know, you used to have in the 19th century, like a big, you know, mill or something like that. Sure. So technology allows more businesses to get started more easily, be more disruptive, and sort of go after some of the big guys. So... You know, a lot of the jobs that we'll see created over the next few years, you know, haven't been invented yet. And I think that that it's really exciting for people who are younger, who are perhaps going through college or high school, um, because they don't know what they'll do because no one knows what those jobs will be yet. Right, yeah. But they'll more likely be in small businesses that might eventually be acquired by bigger businesses who... You know, because as a business gets bigger, it becomes stagnant and doesn't become as creative because it's so structured. Yeah. All the innovation comes from these small businesses. And and that's really what's exciting about, you know, 2021, 2022. Um, We'll see a lot more innovation, creativity using technology. Hopefully not with access to to China stuff, but <laughs> yeah. but really keeping it, bringing more things back on shore to do like a Vortec watch or, or some manufacturers who who can do things here that they formerly did in other countries. Um, and again, it's just exciting times for people. But we really, as really a, as a country, need to create more jobs locally in communities, and that's really the future of the country.
1: Now, Mike, as a nonprofit organization. Are you
2: eligible or more so eligible for grants as opposed to loans? I am eligible for grants if I can find someone who will make a grant to me. But just like with you know nonprofits this year, or at least the foundations and charities, they've had a really tough time of trying to raise funds. And money. I know. And so potentially, you know, I, we, we as, a, as a team, there's a few people sort of helping me part-time trying to Build that, but, but looking for grants would be good. But again, grants, you know, businesses can't find grants. It's not yeah. that easy to find grants from non-profi- for non-profits too, but there's the potential that if I can, in, in the non-profit world, there's something called program-related investment. So a foundation, you know, that is a charity, has to do something with 5% of its capital every year, according to the IRS, and they usually give it away in grants. So, so foundations have some obligation to do some granting every year. Um, and turn instead of a grant, they could make a program-related investment, which is a very low interest rate loan. So, you know, whether I can get a small grant and a large program-related loan to try and stand the program up and then work with a community who might be in need or there might be some federal funds that might be available that, that we could perhaps tap into to try and work on, you know, a, a, a community of colour or... or a, a community reconstruction after some of the the rioting and the, the looting. There's all sorts of opportunities. So it's really, you know, exciting for me, but it's really what I'm hoping to do is create opportunities for more small businesses to both start and grow and create jobs. So, you know, I, I'm not really excited about helping people be part-time Uber drivers, but if I can yeah. help someone start a coffee shop in a community where there isn't a coffee shop, I mean, that's huge.
0: That uh, would be huge. And I, I think you're right. I think it's there's something you know I will give america credit that that we tend to be a a, nas- a nation of rising to challenges at least historically I hope we still are yeah no, I, I think understand. I think we will be I think there's just I think you know and the funny thing is 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 in some ways I kind of saw automation and ai being the vehicle by which That was sort of gonna force America to be even more entrepreneurial than it was. And I almost think that the pandemic came in and 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 put rocket fuel on that same sort of pathway that was happening, in the sense that, you know, there's just not going to be there there's gonna be anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of the jobs that currently exist, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, that were going to be eaten up by automation and AI I mean that's this is what really destroyed the audio industry mm-hmm. in, in the in the rust belt you know where I grew up and um, uh, even though you know some people would blame it on immigrants um, the facts were that it was it was largely automation and AI that was doing that and I had imagined that um, you know uh, and then the pandemic obviously coming along it was just like you know pouring salt on that wound and so I think it is it is time to, for all of us to start thinking about, and DeAndre's probably like, this is a broken record. He said this on many podcasts. but Nah, this is real, though. It, it's time for you to figure out how you can create your own wealth and your own money and sustain yourself without relying on a corporation. Because these corporations are laying people off left and right, and they're not, guess what, they're not hiring back you know 85% of their staff. We'll be lucky if they hire back 15% in some of these cases, you know. So it's time to, uh, to figure out A. The beautiful thing, though, to me is that like, okay, so that sounds scary, right? But the beautiful thing is it only takes two ingredients for me. Well, there's a lot, but the two main ingredients to get you started a passion about something, something you care about, something that you're willing to maybe do for less money than you made at your corporate gig, but in the hopes that you can build that up and, and make even more money than you did in your corporate gig and create jobs and all that stuff. And you solve a problem. And here's the good news as you can tell in a year like 2020, there's no shortage of problems. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of problems going around, and, and we, you know, I think we just need uh, people brave enough to make the leap to, uh, to solve those problems and, and do that with passion, and, and that'll be the first step on, uh, in, in recovering.
2: Yes, and I, and I agree 100%. Again, when you know, character-based lending is all about making small loans that are affordable and friendly and flexible to people who have passion, um, and people who are solving a problem or cr- creating an opportunity out of a problem and, and have a plan for doing that. So I might add a, a third one. There you go. Just, that's a good one. Rather than just, you know, <laughs> if, if I build it, they will come. Because yes. I've run into a lot of those people over the Whew, years, too. I bet you uh, have. But so it's have a, I. it's Again, it's it's thinking through the process. Well, if I want to make $20,000, you know, a month, then this is what I need to do to do that. And, and that's part of that plan. But you need to have that passion. If If I just want to, buy some crap from China and bring it over here and sell it at a flea market, that's really not. It's, it's very limiting in some respects, but, but again, people and creative Americans are very resilient, um, and we're looking for more resiliency as a result of coming out of this recession, so it's going to be really important. Um, and people not giving up, but, but people wanting to, to challenge the status quo and, and being looking for opportunities to solve problems, because so many great businesses have come out of something that didn't exist other than a problem.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It's been incredibly enlightening. Do um, you want to hang out and do yeah. the news with us? DeAndre's yeah, going to share yeah. some, uh, some of the, uh, the business that's of late. Yeah, I'm
1: excited about these, Chad, because of our special guest today. So I'm interested to get his two cents in the machine. Nice. Americans starting new businesses at record pace. In a recent study by LendingTree, new figures indicate the number of new business applications in the U.S. has surpassed 2019's total. By mid-October, over 3.4 million new applications were filed across America. In fact, in the first 13 weeks of 2020, an average of nearly 74,000 businesses applied for employer identification numbers a week. Through mid-October, EIN applications average was nearly 89,000 a week. The number of weekly business applications for non-store retailers grew by four times from 5,070 to 20,370 since March. Additional findings of the study indicate e-commerce websites is the most popular business in 2020. Mm. What's driving entrepreneurship, you ask? The provision of the additional $600 weekly payments and unemployment insurance helped the personal savings rate reach nearly 34% in April, the highest on record. Overall, business applications growth was triggered following the coronavirus aid, relief, and economic security, otherwise known as the CARES Act was signed into law this past March, which may have provided the financial breathing room entrepreneurs needed to set up a new business. Hmm. It sounds like by, it's already happening, Mike. Yeah, well, brought want, to you by smallbusinesstrends.com. Yeah.
2: Let, nice. let me pour a little bit of water on that one because I've seen those <laughs> those numbers before. And and what you do is you, know, you apply for a tax ID number for a business. Uh, you would also normally register in the state where you are. And what I did, I just was curious to see that. Um, when I saw those numbers, I said this was just completely counterintuitive in a situation. Yeah, I was Where surprised. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I'm going to be using my cynical thing, but if we look at at businesses registering corporations here in the state of Colorado, and so if you're sole proprietor, you don't have to register. You don't need a tax ID number. If you're a partnership or an LLC or a corporation, you register with the Secretary of State. Um, there's been no increase in business registrations in Colorado. So. So we haven't seen any, in fact, we've seen less business registrations in 2020 than we saw in 29 here. So my presumption being the, the, uh, the government cynic that I am is that a lot you needed a tax ID number to apply for a paycheck protection. <laughs> I was wondering about so, that myself. So a lot of people went out and invented spurious companies or false companies to get tax ID numbers, mm. never registered the companies locally, and then sort of gamed the system to get access to the PPP program, Terrible. knowing that there would be some automatic forgiveness of those loans. I think it, it was originally going to be 150 now it's down to 50,000. But so a lot of people I would suggest is that we I've seen that report a, a month or so ago, but but when I try to verify it, looking at what was happening in Colorado, because I looked at how many tax ID numbers came from Colorado companies compared with how many businesses were being registered by the secretary of state here. And there's a big mismatch. So my only Cynical approaches that there are a lot of people stealing money from the federal government, which is money that could have gone to small businesses that should have gone to small businesses, and it's just going into people's pockets instead of other sort of resources. Mm. So um, I don't believe the numbers. So, but
0: <laughs> well, I like it's, it's good to have a cynic, you know. Oh, I mean, well, I'm cynical. It's
2: just that I couldn't couldn't verify from you know. Right. It's, it doesn't cost Do you anything.
0: You think it, it couldn't have been other states, right? Like you use Colorado just because you're so familiar with it and, and have access to that data. But That's I imagine that we wouldn't be. We're not dramatically outside of the norm
2: typically Colorado is good the sector it's really easy to see the stats here it doesn't cost anything really much to register a company so it's a very easy state to register and there's a lot of information you can get transparently through the internet so so that information of tax ID number applications through the IRS was available on a state by state basis. So I just grabbed Colorado and compared Colorado to what the information I got from the Secretary of State. So, nice. so my presumption is, and this is me being sort of nasty in some respects, but I, the only way I can justify it is, is the people trying to get access to PPP. Uh, with companies that don't exist. Right. So that's yeah, always, sad. You heard sad. it here first, live from the vault. <laughs> there you go. Breaking <laughs> news.
0: Can, we, can you come in any, every week and do this? <laughs> I, can do that. I can shoot
2: down a few of these little. Balls. Yeah. There you go. It's good well, for Lending Tree to report it, but it's absolutely false news or fake news, if I can, whatever the expression it, sure, is. Sure, so. sure. I
1: think that's the first and only time that phrase has been used. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I should have has, a bell for that. But it uh, uh, stands valid. I, it it stands no, it's valid. true. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know,
0: well, I mean, you, you kind of get where they're coming from. From. Like, oh, yeah. they're, if they don't know, no. like, what they're doing, they're just some reporter that's oh, yeah. like, oh, wow, all these, look at this, all these EIN numbers. And they're so, the thing that kills me about the media is, and listen, I used to work in the media, so I'm not afraid to, you know, uh, I'm a big supporter. I believe in journalism. I think, you know, uh, uh, democracy can't exist without a strong uh, fifth estate, you know, that that, that questions the government. But um, they're very... Um, What's that phrase like where uh, where you like if if somebody else is doing it? Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Did You see the story on the other station or did you read that story in the paper? How come we don't have a story about that? What's going on? Oh, my God, there's all these EI numbers and this is great news. We should be reporting this. And then they start all sort of piling on each other's. oops. They start sort of all piling on each other's, you know, uh, premise and it's not always rooted in, like, the, 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 the most factual basis.
1: Yeah, well, like Mike said earlier, you got to love the media, man. Yeah. It's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm interested to, once again, get your take on our next headline. Okay. Why a nightmare tax season is ahead for all small businesses, or should I just say, for small businesses. As surviving small businesses head into winter months, business owners are beginning to understand how challenging tax compliance will be in the coming year, as experts predict the hellish tax season is just around the corner. According to U.S. Chamber of Commerce Small Business Policy Vice President Tom Sullivan, April tax-violence season is shaping up to be a potential nightmare. The anxiety is just starting to appear for small business owners, he says. This is undoubtedly attributed to the $2.2 trillion CARES Act, which became law this spring. The provisions rolled out an array of relief measures for Americans, including aid for small businesses in the form of loans, tax credits, and more. Since these relief measures revolve around the tax code, the aid inevitably comes with added tax complexity. The provisions of the CARES Act are helpful, or excuse me, are helpful for small businesses, but they will co- complicate tax planning efforts for the next couple of years, says Holly Wade, director of research and policy analysis for the National Federation of Independent Business. Perhaps the most immediate issue for the businesses is the deductibility woes of the PPP loans. The Paycheck Protection Program paved the way for entrepreneurs to turn. Losses in the cash via employee retention credit. However, the IRS has confirmed that the loans are eligible for tax free forgiveness if at least 60% of the proceeds go toward payroll. Otherwise, expenses covered by PPP loans can't be deducted on 2020 tax returns. The IRS argues that recipients would be receiving a double benefit by deducting expenses paid for by the government. God. With all that said, experts are highly encouraging business owners and entrepreneurs alike to take the remaining weeks of the year to get their affairs in order by hiring tax and accounting professionals to help guide them through. And that's brought to you by CNBC.com.
2: It's great. I, I wonder whether accountants might have been behind some of the, the CARES Act provisions. <laughs> 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 I, I love Mike. Because financials. He's a real, right? <laughs> yeah, well, financials yeah. are going to be screwed for the next year. And, yeah. and, that, and that's the problem Is that you're right. The CARES Act said that the funds you got under the PPP, if they were forgiven, were not taxable. But at the same time, if you take, let's just say, $100,000 and you spend that on your employees, um, then that's for free money, it's basically a grant to you, but you can also show that as an expense on your financial statements. So it will make your profitability look stronger because you did that. So if you normally, you know, let's just say you make $200,000 a year and now you've got 100,000 of expenses that you can't count, um, now you've got $300,000 that you're going to have to pay tax on. So Yeah, it's frightening. And, and from a banker's perspective looking at, you know, because they always look backwards to look forward for whether you get a loan or not. So your your financials will look, um, they'll, they'll just be, you won't know how well the business did based on those funds. So from the perspective of, of a CPA accountant, yes, it's much more complicated. Uh, can you rely on those financials moving forward to be a good indication of what happened in the past? Probably not. Um, and so essentially, it creates another whole complexity around that, but but I certainly concur with the the fact that you know if, if anyone's going looking for a career in the future, being a CPA or an accountant, is probably, <laughs> it's probably we'll see more people moving into that yeah. profession. Next right?
0: Time. Yeah. You know, it's funny that this that you brought this up, DeAndre, because literally, like right before you guys got here to do this podcast, I um, was on the uh, on a meeting for like a ninety minute meeting with my bookkeeper, and learned that you know, it's a bit of a catch-22 with the PPP deal, Um, you know, in the sense that if you—it's kind of funny, like, you can get it forgiven, right, up to a certain amount, and you can get it forgiven. But if you do, then you have to pay taxes on—that's, like, considered, like, revenue, basically. Like, you have to pay taxes on that as if you did it, right?
2: No, the the CARES Act specifically says that the IRS can't count it as taxable income. It just means that you can't the expenses that you would normally spend that money on don't get counted. So right, 30
0: see, 30 I can 30. tell my my uh, my bookkeeper. Uh, I, I I told her I was very dense, and that's why I hired <laughs> her about this stuff. So, but yeah, you proved it right there for sure. But yeah, exactly. So it's gonna be for like LLCs where like you know the 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 business. Sort of profits are sort of and and losses are sort of passed through to the person. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough tax year, yeah. and uh, and it's gonna be real interesting. I think uh, the the pipe Piper is gonna come call in, and it's gonna be it couldn't happen in tougher times, no. right?
2: And and there's you know other silly things that have happened. I know Denver voters approved like sales tax increases and stuff, and <laughs> and, and sales taxes are the most regressive taxes we have in this country because they unduly impact less. Ex- poorer people more than richer people. And so for whatever silly reason that this community in Denver voted all these sales tax increases, which means that people will probably shop in different counties than Denver County, so that'll make it more hard for businesses Mm -hmm. to survive and succeed, and there'll be less money available for businesses or small business individuals to spend on other things because they're paying more taxes. So We're going to have
0: to have you back to talk Mm -hmm. Tabor because I think uh, you know the the tax law here. I'm sure you could you could probably. Uh, i want to Oh, we should have like a. We should have our uh, uh, John McGee, my my accountant and uh, member here at Hero Smith Inn, And you guys, we could have a little economics focused yeah, thing talk, here.
2: Talk about how politicians, state and local and federal, have no clue as to what they're doing. But the disincentives that come from increasing taxes and that silly thing that people voted for to reduce property taxes will actually increase property taxes on residences. So. So that'll bite people in the rear at the same time as evictions go. So there's a lot of mm. silly timing going on at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, they do. They do well because they like uh, they tied all the sales tax increases to things that we all care about and want to support. But it's like, like you said, sales tax are the most regressive form of tax uh, in the world. So so it's like, and I think that in Colorado this taxpayer bill of rights, if you haven't heard of it that makes it incredibly difficult so the way they get these sales taxes passed is because it's like oh it's just gonna be like a penny on the dollar or whatever you know but then you you know if you're buying a car or a house or something you know (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and not all the underlying details are exposed the way that mike is putting it out there not everyone's going to have the business acumen that mike has so totally that's all we need more people like Mike man, yeah, man. I just want to thank you for blessing <laughs> us with your presence today <laughs> no, man. my pleasure sorry, all you your wisdom you. and your insight your fact checking and that accent <laughs> yeah all accent's on today. point <laughs> still got it after all these years <laughs> I appreciate
2: you man you've
0: been in America for since what yeah, uh, 30 that, odd years now. wow so it's a long it never time. goes away when
2: it's well, when it's born I, in there it used to be more than it was so when I go back to Australia they ask where are you from <laughs> They're like, are you You have yeah. an American accent. Yeah, now. What <laughs> Different words. It's like <clears throat> patent and patent. And I have to remember where Zebra and Zebra, all that sort of stuff. Wow, you know, that's
0: and, great. That's like, amazing. Well, Mike, it's been such a pleasure. Like DeAndre said, it's so great to have you in. You're such a wealth of wisdom. And and uh, this certainly won't be the last time you're on Life in the Vault. Um, and that's our show today for today, guys. Be sure to check out uh, Life in the Vault wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about it. Um, you can check it out at epic.herosmith.com slash podcast to see all our latest episodes and get links to the various channels upon which our podcast is broadcast or podcasted. I um, want to thank Pine Tree Janitorial Service for our theme song. Check them out at pine or just, you know, when you're going to bed at night put their song, put their records on a loop and, and turn the volume down, go sleep and uh, support these local artists. And uh, for Chad Coleman and DeAndre Dow and Mike O'Donnell, this has been Live From the Vault.